Sex Within Marriage podcast. My name is JD and I blog over at uncoveringintimacy.com about everything marriage related from the Christian perspective. This is the third and final part of our January anonymous questions from our Have a Question page, which you can find over at uncoveringintimacy.com in the menu. Uh, I meant to get this out sooner, but I was asked to preach in my home church last week and it takes me a couple of weeks to prepare a sermon. I hope to have it up on the podcast soon as I was discussing Jesus' answer to the question, can I divorce my wife for each and every reason? Uh, I thought that might be applicable here. But as I said, today we're tackling the last section of the questions from January. I split up the questions into categories and today we're dealing with questions about sex drive and then a bunch of questions that didn't fit into any nice categories. So let's get to the questions. So, question 19, continuing with our series, is uh, about sex drive and pregnancy. This person writes, A little over a year ago, I became pregnant, and by the end of the pregnancy, I'd gone from having almost no sex drive, birth control pills had killed it previously, to being very high drive. In fact, I was OCD high, two to three times per day high, way higher than my husband's. Before that, I would have been happy having sex about one to two times a month. My husband and I attributed this change to the extra testosterone in my system because it was a baby boy. However, it was our second son, fourth pregnancy, and nothing like this had happened when I became pregnant with our first son eight years before, right after I'd quit using the birth control pills. Well, now that I'm five months postpartum, I'm wondering if the change might have been permanent because there's been almost no decrease in my sex drive since having our baby. Fortunately, my husband has been super understanding and tries the best he can to keep up. But for me, it's frustrating feeling like having sex so ridiculously often. It has given me a glimpse of what my husband must have gone through when I was gatekeeping early on in our marriage. So I guess my questions are, first, have you ever heard of anything like this? Do you think that the pregnancy caused it? And any thoughts on whether it might permanently reset my hormones? I mean, it's fun having sex more often, but sometimes the best sex is after waiting a few days, not hours, if you know what I mean. It also takes a lot of time to have sex so often, and with a new baby, we're sacrificing sleep for more sex. All that said, I will say through this experience, God has answered every prayer I ever said for our marriage and then some. It has in many ways been like a sunny second honeymoon for us. We went from having a difficult marriage with lots of unhealthy conflict to a marriage where we honor, respect, and serve one another. Any conflict is a healthy discussion now, and if it does get heated at all, it's just for a moment until we realize what's happening. We even started praying together about our sex life. Never in a million years did I think that would happen. We're also reading every book on marriage that we can get our hands on. I feel like we're living proof that God really can use a vibrant sex life to totally transform a marriage. Anyways, glad to come of, glad to have come across your blog. Thanks for any wisdom you can share. Alright, so, first off, every pregnancy is different. Um, so yes, uh, I've definitely heard that some women's sex drives can change during and after pregnancy. Some go up in the first term, some second term, some third term, some go down during different terms, some drop at the end, some jump at the end, some stay up or stay down or reverse. Uh, it's basically all over the map and there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. Um, people try to come up with reasons like, oh, it's because it's a boy, oh, it's because they're redheaded, it's because whatever. At the end of the day, nobody really understands why it happens. 
the short and simple answer is hormones change drastically during pregnancy, and that can have unpredictable effects. As for sex being better when it's less frequent, one option is to simply have less sex. Our brains uh, tend to want sex the more we have sex, uh, especially for women. So if you're having sex daily or even more frequently, your brain gets used to that and wants to keep it up. So if you slow down a bit, you may find you have better sex, can get more rested, and that your brain eventually will settle down and you won't feel this insatiable drive every few hours. But it may take a bit to adjust. Uh, you might have to put up with a few annoying days or weeks, or maybe just hours. I don't know. It's hard to say. It depends on way too many factors to estimate. Or you can find a new balance that you want to stick with, or maybe just one that can get you through the young children years. years. That's up to you. Uh, other than that, I'd say simply enjoy your new marriage. Um, yeah, take what you've learned. Uh, see if you can find a balance that works so you're not constantly exhausted. And you can always readjust it again later. All right, so next question is about medications. So they ask, is it true that birth control pills and SSRIs can have permanent effects on a woman's ability to orgasm? Any other medications to avoid? So I'm not uh, a doctor, but a simple Google search can tell you, yeah, it's definitely possible for SSRIs to have uh, negative sexual side effects. In fact, they have a almost 100% rate for negative sexual side effects. If you're on an SSRI and don't have any, you're the odd one out. And unfortunately, um, many of these um, side effects, they don't stop when the medication ends. Um, you can go off of SSRIs and still have long-term effects from it, sometimes um, permanent effects. In fact, there's a whole medical term for this called PSSD, which is post-SSRI sexual dysfunction. And symptoms of this can be uh, reduced genital sensation, erectile dysfunction, delayed or inability to orgasm, pleasureless weak or muted orgasms, decreased or loss of libido, reduced response to sexual stimuli, decreased or lack of nocturnal erections, premature ejaculation, reduced nipple sensitivity, and soft glands. Um, I couldn't find anything on birth controls themselves. However, uh, it turns out that one of the side effects of almost all birth controls is depression. And when you take meds for depression, then you're back in the same place because SSRIs are often prescribed for uh, to deal with depression. And if it's not an SSRI, then often depression medications have much the same symptoms or sorry, same side effects. So the short answer to all this is that there is almost always a cost to taking medication. You should never be, you should never take things thinking it's only going to fix what you're trying to fix. It's usually a balance of fixing one thing while breaking something else and then deciding which one is more important. Personally, uh, uh, in our family, we do our best to opt, opt for natural options when we can. But for example, my, my six year old has asthma that's pretty bad she has to take an inhaler sometimes multiple times a day uh, unfortunately as the research shows and as we've seen from our dentist bills uh, the inhalers are terrible for your teeth so she gets tons of cav- cavities but she needs to be able to breathe so until we can figure out kind of what's causing her asthma and mitigate it if possible 
then that's kind of sort of the price we have to pay because it's terrible being six year old, six years old and feeling like you're suffocating. And just to offset anybody who's going to say, Oh, just quit dairy and they'll fix the asthma. Um, she's been dairy free most of her life. So that's not the issue. Um, so yeah, point is, uh, yes, SSRIs can definitely have permanent, permanent effects. Um, there's lots of research on it. Um, I, posted a, there's a link in the show notes for this on the blog, um, to a whole page on post SSRI sexual dysfunction, also known as PSSD. All right. Our next question is about a low drive husband's affair. This wife writes, my husband and I are devout Christians. However, I found out that he had an emotional affair that lasted 18 months in the coast In the course of the affair, he sent a masturbation video to the other woman. We are trying to heal our marriage, but finding the video he sent her was incredibly painful for me, not just because of the most, of the obvious content, but because my husband has always had a low sex drive. Our lovemaking was always initiated by me, and we were married 33 years at the time of the affair. It was the only thing he and I ever really struggled with but one I came to accept because he was always so loving and wonderful to me. I just finally accepted that it wouldn't matter who was laying next to them, his drive wouldn't be the same. But then I saw the video. It destroyed me in ways I can't even express. My self-esteem is at an all-time low. I feel like it's not that he didn't like sex, he just didn't like it with me. The thing is, I needed him to discuss the issue. I don't want the details, those were clear enough, but I want to know where he was, where I was. His feelings afterwards, he continues to say he cannot remember, but I find this impossible to accept. Is that even possible? It has become a stumbling block I cannot overcome. I'm so broken. I I don't want to give my heart to him again if he can do something like that and not remember. Am I being unreasonable? Alright, so the first thing to realize is that sexual affairs are often not about sex. They're usually about intimacy, closeness, security, or something like that. Um, It's not uncommon for low-drive spouses to get caught in sexual affairs. It doesn't make it okay, but um, maybe that helps lessen the blow a bit. Uh, Secondly, Affairs aren't usually one-sided. If an affair happened, it's generally because both spouses have damaged the relationship so far that it happened. Uh, I'm frankly not interested in whose fault it was, but I'm going to say that you both have some responsibility here. I know no one wants to hear that, but I think it has to be said. Uh, I've It's pretty rare to come across a marriage that has been through an affair and say, yes, it's all 100% this one person's fault. As for the memory thing, um, memory is a weird thing. It's actually pretty incredible how memory works. Uh, from what I understand, uh, when short-term memory moves to long-term memory, it needs to compress a bit because um, well, we have a lot of stuff in our brains. So we lose a lot of the context of our memories, and that means you may not remember who you were with or the day it was or if it was morning or night for a specific memory, but you may remember a smell because for whatever reason, your brain decided that that was the important piece of to remember. For example, for example I remember the first time I heard the, wrong, the song Zombie from the Cranberries. I know I was in a parking garage at the airport waiting for my parents who are waiting for someone, probably family's plane to land. I know what station I was listening to, but not vehicle we were in. I know what airport, 
but not if anyone else is in the vehicle with me. I have no idea who we were picking up, but I definitely remember the song. Why? I have no idea. There's, there's all this stuff that got stripped out, um, but remembering the song and it playing on the radio is clear as a bell. Um, but all this context just got lost. The point is, I find it very believable that he doesn't remember the context of when he did something like this. Uh, I'd also find it equally believable that he doesn't want to tell you simply because um, something about it will hurt you or embarrass him. But at the end of the day, um, do the details matter? You know, are they more important than the marriage you've decided to fight for? I I would doubt it, and I'd say probably not. I'd rather see you spend that energy kind of working on rebuilding the marriage, and part of that will be figuring out why the affair happened and each of you working on whatever parts that you're responsible for in that breakdown. So are you being unreasonable for wanting this info? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I don't know. Um, What you are being is by holding out for it, it's unproductive, and that's unfortunate because enough time has been spent kind of not moving forward in the last few years. Um, if you decided you want to move forward now, then let's stop dredging up insignificant items of the past and instead start digging into things that like, you know, what is the cause of this? What caused us to drift apart? Was it just that you weren't making time for each other anymore? Um was there some hurt that was done? Like, what happened that kind of started this whole thing? Our next question is about birth control options. Uh, so this person writes, is hormonal birth control really abortifacient? Uh, if you don't know what that word is, it basically means, does it cause an abortion? So they continue, if so, then what should a couple who can't use condoms because of ED issues do? Diaphragms aren't effective, and the rhythm method is basically depriving one another. We can't really have more kids because of medical issues. So, does hormonal birth control uh, cause abortion? It depends on your views. Even in Christianity, there's no consensus here. It depends on when you believe life starts, and it depends on which birth control you're using. Um Frankly, I, I have not done the research or the time to go through all of them yet. I do have a post on my site about um, birth control and something about this topic. I'll find it and link to it in the show notes. Um, but if you want something that's definitely not abortive and is pretty effective, I'd look into getting a vasectomy. Uh, here in Canada, at least, they're free. Uh, the, they're really low risk. It's a pretty simple procedure. Uh, it only takes a couple of hours, tops, I think, including the consult. Um, I even drove myself home after my own. So in the meantime, uh, those times when you're using, when you are kind of unsafe during the rhythm, rhythm method, you don't necessarily have to deprive each other. You could switch to uh, mutual masturbation or oral sex or... Um, manual sex, there's plenty of other options. Uh, it's still intimate, it's still shared, it's still connective, and you can still get all those lovely hormones that sex gives you. So uh, it's not like your choice is really hormonal birth controls or nothing. There are some other options. All right, our next question is about resources. They ask, is there a place where you list all the possible sexual activities and resources slash blog posts 
for slash about these activities that are all within biblical boundaries. For instance, new positions, props, furniture, toys, games, locations, uh, and et cetera, et cetera. They said, I'm sure there are many, many others. This is just off the top of my head. So he listed a whole bunch of things. Uh, I linked to the ones I could find that I've posted about. Uh, you can check it out on the show notes on the website. Um, he continues saying, I don't mind searching the archives of your site, but if you have it somewhere all in one place, I'd appreciate knowing. We're trying to expand our boundaries as much as we can biblically to keep things new. Thanks. So basically, um, there are a couple things. Uh, the first is I have a printable called Spice Jar, which you can check out, and it's it doesn't have everything, but it's got quite a few activities that you can then print off and kind of randomly pick ones or go through and decide which ones you like or not, and you can kind of use it as a randomizer for what are you going to do tonight. Um, so that's one option. The other one is I have another printable called our Sexploration List that has its pages and pages and pages of activities broken down by who's doing what to who, and you can mark it off basically with, you know, I'm willing to do this but not receive this, you know, I'm not interested in this at all, this really excites me, kind of things like that. So a couple can go through these things together, figure out what things kind of excite them both or are interested in both or one spouse is willing to do and the other one's interested in whatever. And that will give you kind of a big list of basically things that you could do that you potentially aren't doing now. Um, both of them, uh, I've done my best to um, keep them all within biblical boundaries. Uh, from my perspective, nothing in there is outside of, um, but you'll have to decide for yourself because even amongst Christians, we can't decide what the boundaries are and aren't. All right, our next question is about fisting. Uh, this person writes, I know what fisting is, but can you co- comment on the technique and whether women generally like this? All right, so for those who don't know what fisting is, it's the practice of inserting your entire hand into the vagina or the anus, but I don't think that's what this person's asking about, so I'm going to stick with vaginal fisting. So I'm afraid I don't have any stats on fisting. I haven't run a survey on this yet, so I can't tell you if women generally like it. I can say that I found one sex survey, which I linked to in the show notes, that had some 2,800 responses, and 72% of the people answered that they have no interest in this activity. So assuming the genders answered similarly, which isn't safe to do, but let's just say they did, then you can take this either one of two ways. Uh, one is either 72% of the women don't like the activity or 72% of the women are too shocked by the concept to find out whether or not they like it. Or... So I'm willing to guess that about 72% of my readers are thinking, why would you want to do that? And there are a couple of reasons. Firstly is uh, that tissue like around the clitoris or clitoris, depending on how you pronounce it, and the G-spot respond well to kind of rubbing sensations. And a lot of, a lot of the pleasure nerves around the vaginas respond to pressure instead. And the putting an entire hand in is, well, it's a lot of pressure, which some women find extremely pleasurable. Um, the fullness of it reportedly feels really good. I don't have a vagina, so I can't comment on that. Secondly, some women report that it has this um, big kind of psychological effect that they really enjoy. Um, 
they didn't go into a whole lot of more detail than that. And lastly, um, it can take a lot of communication, watching for body language, being in tune with your spouse to get it to work, and some report that the intimacy achieved by this practice is amazing. It uh, could just be because of the trust level required and, yeah, how much communication it takes. You know, you feel close because you have to feel close in order to kind of get through this. So if those are the reasons to do it, then why are people afraid? And there's two basic reasons. Uh, the first is that women are afraid it will hurt, and it can hurt. Uh, pretty much any sexual activity can hurt if done improperly, and this one appears to be no different. With enough practice, lubricant, and enough arousal, there shouldn't be any pain involved. I should also say that everyone says go slowly as well. The second is that people are afraid that the vagina will stretch and become loose, but this is a fear based in myth. Vaginal tissue is designed to be stretched and to rebound back into shape. In fact, I've heard that there are midwives and prenatal or antenatal for those in the UK and Australia. Um, Anyways, there are prenatal class teachers who suggest using this practice to help with preparing for birthing for two reasons. Uh, the first is it helps stretch the tissue, so it's not being stretched for the first time by the baby when the baby's coming out. So you can go a lot slower with a hand, um, whereas babies pretty much go at their own pace. So you don't get to slow them down. Um, second is it helps uh, women gain better control over those muscles. Uh, those PC Kegel muscles that, and that can help a lot in birthing as well because, um, if you learn to relax those muscles and control them better, then it's a lot easier to kind of relax and push while you're giving birth. Of course, these midwives and teachers typically aren't using the term fisting. Uh, actually, I recall listening to a sex, sex educator once who was having a baby in one of those, um, prenatal classes. She wasn't having the baby in the prenatal classes. She was going to have a baby and went to the prenatal classes. And the teacher recommended this practice, and she immediately asked, you know, are you suggesting we, we do fisting to practice? And the teacher, of course, didn't want to use that name for the practice, but that's pretty much what she was describing. So uh, for the technique, from my understanding, um, based on the few articles I could find on this, um, there aren't a lot. Um and it's a little scary to try to find stuff like this on there. I don't suggest doing it. Uh, the first is to realize that um, this is a badly named activity. Um, do not kind of make a fist with your hand and then try to insert it. Um, your hand balled into a fist is actually uh, a fairly large configuration for a hand. Um, supposedly, the easiest method is to make your hand a duck shape. Um, so if you um, ever made shadow puppets, and you make a shadow duck, you know, that's that's kind of the shape. Uh, that's apparently this the best shape that you can for putting it in. So uh, if you've never made a shadow puppet duck, then, uh, you know, when someone's talking on the phone and you're just making this hand gesture like they keep talking on and on and on, that's kind of the hand. So you take this duck hand, for lack of a better term, and with a lot of good, like, quality lubes, some... Some women produce enough, supposedly, but a lot don't. Um, then you start to insert it, you know, fingers first. Um, and you should turn your hand so your thumb um, is kind of pointing, not pointing up, but your thumb knuckle is closest to the clitoris. 
uh, or the clitoris end of the vaginal opening. So your knuckles would be basically pointing down. And supposedly that's the easiest way to do it because if the woman's lying on her back, the stretchiest parts are at the bottom and the knuckles are the hardest thing to get past. So uh, a couple things apparently to keep in mind, four things. Uh, number one is if the woman is lying on her back, yeah, that tissue kind of down or towards the anus is far more stretchy. So you can kind of push down that direction a bit. There are also a lot of pleasure nerves there, which can add to the feeling of fullness. Uh, in fact, the, um, you can see in some drawings of the whole um, clitoral uh, system, uh, it actually wraps around the anus. So you have a, like a lot of tissue there that uh, has pleasure nerves in it. Um, Second is don't try to put your whole hand in in one session. Uh, it may take multiple sessions, so I'm told. Uh, you start with one finger, then two, then three, then four. Thumb is the hardest one, supposedly, and it can take time for the women to both become comfortable with the idea, the new sensations, as well as gaining more control o- over the muscles that they need to relax. Uh, number three, Understandably, like I said, what I hear is that the knuckles are the hardest part to get past, but you can angle your hand apparently a bit when you're going in. Um, so they aren't all kind of aligned and going in together. They kind of go in diagonally, if that makes sense. Uh, number four is go slow. You need to be able to communicate through this. So if you can't talk to each other during sex, I would not try this. Um, anyways, from what I gather, that's the best way to do that. I hope it helps. Um, if you've ever done this and you have ideas, stick them in the comments below. All right. Uh, this next one I just called the banana question because I didn't know what else to call it in our forum. So they write, uh, if a wife brings a banana into her marriage bed and simulates oral sex on it while being pleasured by her husband, is it wrong if she puts the banana in her husband's mouth and asks it for him to open wide? I know a Christian couple where the husband asked the wife to simulate on a banana, but afterward the wife asked the husband to do so as well. Is that okay? I read the rules about not bringing a third person, but what about this? Um, To be honest, some people in our forum just thought, I think this person is just trying to throw weird stuff at you and seeing how you react. It could be, I don't know, maybe it's a real thing. Either way, I'll answer it because... I've told people I will answer any question you have to the best of my ability because I think people deserve to have a place where they can answer questions openly and honestly. And if no one else is going to do it, then I'll be the guy that answers questions about bananas. So uh, for me personally, emulation of an activity and the activity itself are equally sinful. Uh, I think this principle is shown in the Bible uh, when Jesus said things like, it's not enough for you to murder, for, for you not to murder, uh, you have to not hate as well. It's not enough for you not to have affairs, you shouldn't be lusting after people. Um, I think that's why most Christian Christians have an issue with porn, because while it's not physically bringing someone into your sexual relationship, it's virtually doing so. You know, um, we should not be glorifying things that are not good. So for me, a scenario like this would be emulating acts like a threesome and homosexuality and thus not be okay. And this brings to mind the verse, Philippians 4, verse 8. Uh, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, 
whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So uh, I'd much prefer to think about things that are good, like me and my wife having sex together, rather than something that is not good and not godly, like a threesome. So I'd say for me, from my perspective, yeah, it seems it seems wrong to me. All right, next question is, is it sinful to want to use a sex machine on your wife as part of foreplay? Also, what about foot jobs and really fetishes in general? Okay, I, I don't know. Uh, a sex ma- machine is a pretty vague term that could be anything from a vibrator to a sex bot. And I would say that at some point along that spectrum, you start running into problems. Um, actually, at any point on that spectrum, you could. If a $5 vibrator begins to replace your spouse in the bedroom, I'd say that's a problem. If a toy becomes the focus of your sex session, then that's a problem. Um, I don't know exactly where that line is. Um, we're we're starting to get into this weird era where, yeah, sex toys can be life-sized and um, very human-like. And we got this other question that sort of ties into this, too. They said, what if your spouse wants you to get a sex robot or a blow-up doll? And there are companies developing robots designed to be artificial sex partners. Uh, actually, there are some designing artificial girlfriends and boyfriends. And that's going to be a problem because at some point it becomes a third party in the bedroom instead of a marital aid. And I think, I think it's becoming hard to figure out where that is. And yeah, I don't have a clear and fast rule yet. Uh, at some point, I hope I can come up with one. At this point, I, 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 I think I'm at the point that, um, you know, you kind of look at it and you go, okay, that's too far. Um, but I'd much rather have a hard, um, much harder and faster rule than that. So as well, um, we're starting to deal with things like virtual reality as uh, becoming more advanced and prevalent and AI is advancing. Uh, at some point, we're going to reach a point where the sex machine is really just artificially creating sensations in your mind, bypassing your body entirely and going straight to your brain. And that's going to become weird because then the sex machine is just going to be a program running. And, you know, I don't know how we create rules based on this. Um, you get into weird, really weird situations there. And I completely get how some people are like, no, all sex choice are, are wrong. Um, but even then they have kind of weird rules where some sex toys are okay as long as they're a couple's toy and other ones are not. And then it's, you know, it still gets into this kind of weird gray areas in some cases where they don't have hard and fast rules either. So, um, yeah, I don't know how to answer the question without uh, asking more questions back. And because it's an anonymous question, there isn't really a back and forth dialogue that we can have. Um, I would hope that people know that, you know, when they've gone too far, when they've crossed that line. But unfortunately, based on some of the questions that I get sometimes, frankly, I don't trust that everybody has that, that discernment. But yeah, I don't think I have a clear line in the sand where you can say, this is a sex machine and that's okay. And this one, this is one that's not. Um, 
I do think intentions are important. I think focus is important. And I think realism is important, at least to me. Um, but the whole thing is like a whole class of difficult questions not easily answered. And the range of products is so varied that it, it's difficult to make clear-cut classifications. And that's where I'm at right now. All right, question 27 is about sex and being overweight. So this person writes, We have not had sex for 30 years. I am now wishing to start it up again, but Mrs. has become very overweight and has many related problems. Simple simple basic kissing is very difficult. She can't sit on the sofa, and it's very difficult to reach basic areas. Lying on the bed is difficult. She can really only lay on her back, and in doing so, she is unable to reach me and touch me. Her legs have become very heavy and thick, making it difficult to manually attend to her vulva and vagina, and I'm unable to give her genitals oral stimulation. She is also grossed out when I suggest she try oral on me. What do you suggest? Okay. Honestly, I'm way more worried about the weight than the lack of sex. I'm not a doctor, but I would definitely focus on that because the level of obesity that you're describing seems to be a serious health risk. Um, you, you don't worry about sex when your body is simply fighting to survive. It's a bit like worrying about cleaning the carpets when your house is burning down. Um, you don't do that. Um, please just get her help and get her stable as a human being and then start worrying about the marriage. Those are my thoughts anyways. Our next question is about sex in heaven. Jesus said there won't be marriage in heaven. Will there still be sex in heaven? For instance, with a spouse who has passed. Uh, we kicked this around quite a bit in our discussion group and we had people all over the place. Um, so the verse this person's referencing is in Matthew 22, verses 23 to 32. Um, if you want, you can read it. Uh, I've posted it in the show notes. Uh, but basically, Jesus said that uh, at the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels in heaven. So most of Christianity doesn't really discuss this. Um, the only ones that really do that I know of are the Mormons who created this whole concept of sealed marriages as a way to keep marriage and sex in heaven, as far as I can figure out. Uh, in short, you can only have one sealed marriage within Mormon theology, doctrine, uh, which can only take place in a Mormon temple and is sealed for eternity. Um, although there are some exceptions. Uh, to them, this solves the idea of not being able to get married in heaven, but still having a marriage in heaven. Of course, that gets complicated if you have a spouse who dies while you are still sealed to them. Now, if you're a woman, it's less of an issue because Mormons hold that polygamy is what God intended, or at least during some part of human history. It gets a little messy, um, and it depends on which Mormon you talk to. Uh, According to some of them, men can have multiple wives sealed to them and thus uh, have multiple wives in heaven, at least in do their doctrine again, but women can't have multiple husbands. But uh, if there's a woman whose husband dies and she becomes a widow, she can get unsealed and then sealed to a new husband. But then that sort of undercuts the idea that marriage is sealed in a temple are forever and to me, that sort of proves this entire system false. Um, if I have some Mormon listeners, actually, I know I do have some. I'm sorry, the whole thing doesn't make sense to me. Um, 
to me, it, it falls apart same as kind of the once saved, always saved theology. They kind of have the same issue that you have to create this concept of a real believer, just like you have like a kind of real marriage kind of thing. So that if someone relapses from their, or lapses from their faith, then you can say, well, I guess they weren't a true believer. Uh, just like, you know, I guess it wasn't a sealed marriage kind of thing. And to me, these are all kind of trying to fix problems. Um, using basically rationalizations to fix a hole in some doctrine. Um, to me, working solely from scripture, the short answer is, I don't think there will be marriage in heaven based on Jesus' answer. And I'd surmise that means that there won't be any sex in heaven since it seems pretty clear from biblical context that sex was designed to be within marriage. Now that disappoints some people. Uh, we had a whole discussion about that in our group, uh, in our supporters forum, because uh, some people didn't want to let go of the idea of sex in heaven because, well, then it's just not heaven. Uh, they couldn't, I guess they couldn't conceive of a heaven without sex. Uh, but, all right, here's how I see it. Marriage seems to be designed uh, to be a metaphor for our collective or individual relationship with God. We see this in Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 32, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 2 as well. And the argument could be made that sex uh, could be a metaphor of our most intimate times with God, so prayer. Um, so then when we get to heaven, will we need marriage as a metaphor for our relationship with God when he's already there with us? I would say probably not. Will we need prayer to communicate, or will we simply say, Hey, Jesus, you know, when we can see him face to face. So my best guess is that there will be something better than marriage awaiting for us, and therefore there will be something better than sex awaiting us as well. I think we'll probably look back and go, wow, we used to think that was something special, and we won't realize just how um, broken sex has become in our world and how much more fulfilling there will, like something else will be waiting for us in heaven. That's my best guess anyways, based on what I see in scripture. And our last question is about tantric sex. So they write, what exactly is tantric sex? I've looked it up some online and I'm still not quite sure what it all entails. Are there any redeemable qualities slash best practices that could be applied in Christian marriages? Or does it simply revolve too much about pagan around pagan religion? I'm specifically wondering about sexual techniques that could be applied in monogamous Christian marriages. So I'm not an expert on Hinduism. Uh, I don't even think I know any people who are Hindu, uh, who are Hindu, who follow Hinduism. I'm not even sure what the terminology is. Uh, but my understanding is that tantric sex is a part of a larger piece of the religion that focuses on being present in the moment. And here's when I'm going to get into trouble. Uh, Christianity has a tendency to do one of two things with other religions. Um, Number one is we either throw out the baby with the bathwater. In other words, whoa, if it's a part of that, I want nothing to do with it. Um, number two is we adopt it as our own, and then we rationalize it, and then we reject that it came from another religion. Uh, unfortunately, it tends to be that we throw out the useful stuff, and we adopt the useless stuff, and then rationalize them both later on. So, for example, Easter and Christmas are both pagan holidays that we adopted and internalized so that most Christians have no idea why we have eggs and bunnies at Easter or why Easter happens to land on the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox 
or why Christmas trees uh exists, why we hang mistletoe, why there's caroling at Christmas, or why it lands so close to the winter solstice. Um, as a hint, all those things I just mentioned are all stuff that we adopted from worship rites from pagan gods. Um, but people will look at tantric sex and go, oh, no, tantric, that's bad, stay away. And I'm not saying it's a good idea to take a course on tantric sex. Uh, honestly, I don't know enough about the whole thing to tell you whether it's a good idea or not. And I, I have no idea how much theology will be mixed into it. But I do know that the basic premise of being present is something that the Bible is also in favor of. Um, you know, Matthew, Matthew 6, verse 34 says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In other words, just focus on what you are doing now. Don't worry too much about what's coming up or the context of it and everything. And this basic idea of tantric sex that I think can be adopted by anyone safely uh, is to slow down, enjoy the experience, enjoy the connection, and stop racing to the orgasm. In fact... Have sex sometimes without trying to get an orgasm. Just see how long you can extend the pleasure. It doesn't always have to be about how quickly you can get to an orgasm. At least not all the time. I mean, quickies have their place. It just shouldn't be every single time. And that's it for our January 2019 questions. Uh, I didn't get as many uh, in February and March, so I'm hoping to lump them all together to catch up. If you have a question that you'd like answer, please email me at juncoveringintimacy.com or you can visit our Have Question page and ask it anonymously. There'll be a link uh, in the show notes. Uh, and as always, if you want to be involved in the discussion of these questions as they come in, or if you'd like to help support this ministry, um, then check out our donate page on our website, again, at uncoveringintimacy.com. Other than that, uh, I've been slowly working through the responses to our latest survey. We had uh, over 1,100 responses, which is amazing. So hopefully I will have that, those results out soon. So stay tuned for that. If you haven't already, um, subscribe to our mailing list at uncoveringagency.com slash subscribe, um, just so you don't miss anything. That's all for now. See ya. <laughs>